Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez. All right, here we go. It is a Monday, January 17th edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez. Flyers will be back at it tonight tonight and tomorrow night, as a matter of fact, against the same opponent. A little home-and-home home with the New York Islanders. Actually, road-and-home, but uh, the Flyers will be on the road tonight to take on the Isles, and uh, they'll be at home tomorrow night to take on the New York Islanders. Now, the Flyers sixth in the Metropolitan Division through 37 games, a record of 13, 17, and 7. 33 points. They've lost seven straight, two, five, and three in their last 10. The Isles have played only 30 games so far this season. Flyers have played seven more games, but are only five points up. Isles, two games under hockey, 500, 11, 13, and 6. 28 points, sitting in the eighth spot of the division. Part of that also, obviously, because... They've played so many less games than everybody else. I mean, the Flyers and the Devils with 33 points each have played 37. Blue Jackets, just ahead of the Flyers by two points, have played 36. And it goes Pittsburgh, Washington, Carolina, and the Rangers sitting in the top spot in the division and got two points off the Flyers on Saturday night. To talk about that game Saturday night, to talk about the week that was and the week that will be, we talked to him on every Monday's episode of Flyers Daily, and he joins us right now from PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, and HockeyBuzz.com. It is Bill Meltzer. Bill, how you doing? I am. Um, I'm, I'm doing, doing, doing fine. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's been kind of a frustrating last set of games. We can we can get into that. It, it's uh, you know, I I I think things are are shifting to where you know really it's really just a climb of getting the team consistently playing you know, more the right way. I mean, there's so, there's so much of a mountain to climb now that it's not even realistic to, to even look at the standings right now. It's really, it's really about how you're playing and not really about the standings, right? Right. You know, I mean, it would take a hell of a run to even get back into the, even get back to the discussion. Yeah. Actually, before we even get to that, because that's kind of like the salty dog conversation, but let me ask you something, because as we're taping this, it's Sunday night and I had a chance to get out on a frozen pond on Sunday because it's actually cold enough here for enough of a sustained period of time that we can skate on the ponds. So I went out on the pond with my son and one of his teammates that he plays midget hockey with. And we were out there for about two and a half hours. And it kind of just took me back and I'm going to do a whole episode on this, but it took me back to kind of, you know, the love of the game kind of thing and playing on the ponds and playing with your friends until it was, until you heard the cowbell ring and you had to run home and eat dinner when it was dark and putting, you know, as many cars as you could next to the pond to light it at night, all those things. And it made me think of just, you know, this has been a frustrating couple of seasons for the Flyers and we do, and we're, we're in this game professionally. It's what we do for a living, but you know, it made me kind of think, you know, how did this game get its hooks into me? What was it about this sport about hockey that got its hooks into me and made it my favorite sport and made it where I wanted to make a living. And, you know, I, I go all the way back to, I have two older brothers. Of course, that always helps that played five years older, they're twins. And my dad never played growing up, but he was a big flyers fan. And when he finally made a little bit of scratch, he got season tickets in I think 79, but for you, how did it get a hook? This sport get its hooks into you. Well, uh, I mean, I remember the first time I was I was on ice. It was in uh, I grew up in Northeast Philadelphia, um, and uh, the place eventually became a roller rink. But it was it was Ice Palace and became Roller Palace. Um, I remember I remember being on double runners at age two 
and mm. just just the way the breeze felt and the you know just it was fun just to be out on the ice you know and uh i, I mean i just remember watching the occasional game you know on, on tv at that point because um, it wasn't so I, I was at Philadelphia Firebirds games before I was ever at a Flyers game. But, I mean, the the Flyers got to me as long as I have memories, you know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I remember I remember the first Stanley Cup that I was at my aunt's house watching a little black and white TV. I remember driving back to our house in the Northeast and people pounding on the pounding on the car, just, just running up and down Bustle Avenue. And just how chaotic and how, how wonderful it was. I mean, you know, like uh, – I I say to people who ask who your favorite player of all time was, I said, well, Bobby Clark was my first sports hero, but it was almost, it was almost at at that age, at age three, you know, almost like they're they're superheroes. They're not players. You don't know the game. Not even human. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, Clark, you could do no wrong. I remember specifically, you know, as a child, you're very literal minded. And uh, remember listening to Gene Hart on the radio. And they, they said that, uh, Clark is tied up and broken up, broken up at the blue line. And in my mind, I, I thought he was actually shattering a million pieces on the ice. Yeah. I was upset. Um, you know, and, and just, uh, I mean, my all-time favorite player is Mark Howe because you know the game a little more, you know, the, you know. But, I mean, Bob Clark to me was, was, was my first sports hero. And the game got its hooks into me from there. You know, I remember skating parties and, you know, first time, first time playing rec hockey and all that kind of stuff. Because I never played at any kind of an advanced level, just uh, you know, beer league kind of thing, right? Um, but it uh, once, once you know, once again, it hooks hooks in you. I mean, the, you know, and you 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 do need things sometimes to go back to with that. Yeah. You know, a, you know when you when you're involved in the game, you know, it, it's a bad thing when that that little excitement, that little tingle you feel just coming to the rink, seeing the clean sheet of ice, you know, because you want to get out there and skate when yeah. you see that, you know, see the beautiful clean sheet of ice, you know, when, when you lose that feeling, that's uh, that, that's a bad place to be. And so I think it's important. So you, you go back and, you know, get in touch with like, you know, why you love the game in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it was like dumb luck, right. That it happened that I was able to get out there and a couple things with that. First and foremost, um, we got out there later in the afternoon and I was completely jealous of whoever stepped on that ice first because yes. it's like a sheet of glass. Yeah. And I'm like, I wanted to make those first cuts on that ice. Right. Yeah. Um, so I was jealous. It's like the first run of the day for a skier, you know, yeah. you know, the untouched mountain of fresh snow. And then for me, there's like so many moments of my life that are kind of defined by it, by the game, whether it was playing it. And I started playing when I was four and I'm still playing to this day. Or whether it was, you know, through the NHL or the Flyers. My first sense of loss as a kid, of losing anything, wasn't a pet. It wasn't anything like that. It was losing Pelly Lindbergh. And I bawled. Like, I didn't understand it. And I remember my parents trying to explain it to me. And I still have the newspaper clippings that Al Morgani wrote when that happened. uh, For the, I guess, the Inquirer at that time. Or the Bull. I don't know where he's working. I guess the Inquirer. But, um, and then... You know, all the moments, there's like, they're like mile posts in my life and they all seem to involve the sport. It's really yeah. bizarre. Oh, for sure. I mean, it go, you know, where you, you know, and I remember, remember my best friend called me on that Sunday morning after Petley died and t- told me to turn on the TV right now. You know, he was, yeah. he was distraught and, you know, in a moment or two later I was too. 
You know, actually, we're, we're, I heard that news on a Sunday. Actually, now that you bring it up, that it was a Sunday, yeah. I heard it in a rink because I was playing at the time. Yeah, Crazy. yeah. I mean, yeah, those, those moments of where you were when the news that Eric Lindros had been his rights had been awarded to the Flyers. Yeah, you know, and I actually, uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, you're listening. You're, I was listening to him on the radio, and and Larry Bertuzzi is talking and talking and talking. You know, and at first it sounds like he's gonna word Lindros to the Flyers, and then he then he gave the uh, the Rangers side of it, and you're just you're just in pins and needles waiting for him to yeah. cut to the case, you know. So I mean, four twenty three in the afternoon when it happened when they announced exactly it. Exactly right, exactly right. So you know, all, all those little things, you know, those are things that just just always stay with you. Yeah, they do. You know, I used to have a boombox. Remember the old boomboxes? Sure. And I used to put it in my bed, my little twin bed behind my pillows and I would listen to the games at night because they would get over, they were seven thirty starts all the time back yeah. then. Yeah. And I, I remember distinctly multiple years that when the last game would happen and I would hear Gene Hart sign off and say, good night, good hockey for the last time in a season, knowing I had to wait, which as a kid seemed like an eternity, it yeah. was three to five months tops. But when he would say that, I remember crying and being like, Oh my God, you know, what am I going to do? For the next, I, it, four it, it felt like the next season was so far away. Yeah, you know? uh, years I mean, were ten years. Now they were decade long. It felt like. Yeah, it, it really, really did. I mean, I, I, I remember after Game Six of the nineteen eighty Cup Finals. You know, it was losing in overtime. You had the, you know, you had the first period offside and the first period high stick. Really feeling like the Flyers had been cheated out of the seventh game, yeah. which you were sure they were going to win at home ice. And I just yeah. remember just being in mourning for, you know, yeah. I mean, it was really, it was really a feeling of mourning and, and, uh, and it just felt like forever until the next, you know, until hockey would be back, you know, and, and it, uh, you know, I, and the same thing too with, um, same thing with the lockouts, you oh, know, yeah. it, it, it just felt so long without a game. I mean, it, it, it's so much a part of your, your routine for, you know, half the year really. Yeah, you know, and and it's uh, yeah. I mean, it really it really is. It it's uh, I I think it's and I, I guess you have it in you know people that are diehards in baseball or other sports or, or whatever they feel it too. But it's uh, it's one of those experiences where you know it really it really again it, it it's part of your daily life. Yeah, it becomes part of your DNA. And I'm, I'm just I'm, it was great to get out on that pond. And I maybe it's just what I needed today because I got out there with my son and he's skating. I remember coming back and he said. Can, can you get me up earlier tomorrow so we can go again? He's yeah, like, I ha- had so much fun. And I, I, you know, usually you have to ask your kids, did you have fun? You know, I didn't even have to ask the question. He's like, yeah. that was so much fun. You know, the sound of it. And it was just awesome. Very cool. You, you had texted uh, me about it earlier today. And I was, mm-hmm. I was a little envious, actually. I mean, that, that is so cool that you got a chance to do that today. So that's, that's awesome. Well, we're going to do a whole episode on that, and I'm going to get people to, you know, tell their story and how this game got its hooks into them and how Flyer fandom, because I think we need to kind of remember that right now, because, Bill, this this team, they had a 10-game winless skid, then they had the seven-game point streak. They actually got within a point of the wild card, albeit it was the, the Red Wings at the time, and Boston had played even less games, but... Uh, now we're mired in a seven-game losing streak again, and, and maybe it's reality smacking us in the face. Whatever it is, uh, it's been incredibly frustrating because as I looked at that game on Saturday night and I looked at those numbers before the game, and I talked about this in yesterday's episode, that the Flyers are 11-2 to 
and three or whatever when scoring first, but two, 14 and two going into that game when yeah. giving up the first goal. And then to see that first 10 minutes of the game and you look at the other side, they were 15 and one and two when yeah. scoring first. And I see those numbers and I go, first of all, those players had to know about those numbers. And, and if so, like how does that first 10 minutes happen? Yeah. And, and, and you know, you go into the game and you know, the, the Rangers were just off of a West coast road trip. They had just gotten back on Friday in the, the early morning hours from California. That first game, first game after a long trip like that, the first period is usually brutal for that team. They, there's no energy, there's no legs, you know. And there the Flyers go, you know. They're and, and this this mind you was after after the Boston game, talking about how you know that that bad start today really really hurt us. We have to get off the good start next game. I mean, you consciously know it. But you know I, that that to me was an unforgivable first first half of that first period, and they settled in. They they got going a little bit, but you're you're chasing you're chasing the hockey game at that point, and you also you know I mean the Flyers did ultimately get two goals in a row. Well, I mean that, that that's the math of you know giving up the first goal of the game because you're going to have to score two goals you know, in a row at some point in the game. They actually managed to do that, but. It also, also when you fall behind even one to nothing, it really doesn't leave you much margin for error the rest of the night unless you really, you know, unless you really turn things 180 degrees. That's that's why league wide, even teams that are, you know, in the bottom end of the standings when they score first have, have much, much, much better records than when they don't. Um, you know, and the, fly, the Flyers knew that going in, and yet, yet it happened again. Yet, yet we're talking about a bad start again. It's extremely frustrating. Yeah, it is. And you know, people go, well, that start didn't matter because they took a 2-1 lead in the third period. But to your point, it's not about that. It's not about getting, you know, overcoming it and grabbing the lead. It's about the it's the the theory of it. It's the fact that it happened at all. Even if they would have overcome it and won the game 5-1, to one, it still shouldn't have happened. Right. Knowing what happened Thursday against Boston and knowing the numbers of it and how pronounced it is. So they do take the lead. Cam York gets his first goal. Flyers grab a lead, but they grabbed a trait from last year once again, and that's giving up a goal within a minute of taking the lead or tying a game. Incredibly yeah. frustrating. Yeah. Shift after, you know, it's one of those age-old things, right? The shift after you score or give up a goal. Well, initially know? that shift was good. It started well, it started at the other end of the ice. Yeah. You know, but then, you know, then play comes back to the, the Flyers' way. You have, uh, you know, you, you have a spectator in the neutral zone. That play could have been killed in the neutral zone, and it wasn't. Um, you know, then you have three guys up high in the defensive zone. And, I mean, you know, one, Travis Sanheim comes up to challenge the play. But the problem is if the puck gets past you, there's nobody behind you at that point. And, you know, then, then there's all kinds of – and, I mean, by the time they get – by the time Panarin gets the puck to Heedle, you know, I mean, Hart had no chance. None, none. And, you know, to give that up, what was it? I don't know, 37 <clears throat> seconds or something like that. Exactly. After that's, that's just, you know, another one of those things that just cannot happen. I mean, the, the building comes alive, you know, you, you have everything going your way. You have, you know, and, uh, you know, to, to get countered on and scored on like that, it's, it's deflating. I mean, truthfully, you know, truthfully, Jason, when it was two to two, I, I thought Flyers are going to find a way to lose this. Yeah. You know, I did. You don't, you didn't feel that. You didn't feel that confidence where, you know, when it 
when a team when a team knows how to win games, finds ways to win games, you know, all right, well, it just they just canceled out. Back to, just get back at it. You know, you, you knew it was going to be deflating, and it was. And I used the term on yesterday's podcast. I, I said it's a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah. to lose. Yeah. You're finding ways to lose. And look, fragile teams, that that tends to be an identifiable trait of fragile teams in sport. And the Flyers have that right now. And there is a fragility to the team. Before we get to the fragility of the team and the word nervous and nerves, because Mike Yo used those. Let's talk about the go-ahead goal. Um, you know, Drew bumps into Hart's the the, the, stick out, the shaft yeah. and, and knocks the stick out of his hands. But let's start here. Hart seems to lose his stick quite a bit. Yeah. And, you know, it throws a goaltender's balance so out of whack. And I broke down why. I mean, he went from a 26-inch paddle stick his first year in the NHL to a 25 and a half because he was getting beat too much in that hole between his blocker arm and his body because right. the paddle was just keeping his, his arm a little further out. So he shaves a half inch. It keeps him a little tighter, but without the stick, everything is just way too loose. You're out of balance as a goalie. But have you noticed this, that he seems to lose the stick, especially on his blocker side when on a post seal, uh, as players go by, they just seem to knock it out. He needs to get a better grip on that. Yeah, he, he does. Um, yeah. And I think that it's something that, uh, it, it seems to pop up multiple times in the season, not not habitually, but but yeah, I, I would say you know three four times a season there's a goal where you know the stick came loose a little bit easily, you know, and yeah. uh, you know I mean in this case in this case I mean he, he you know it, it makes it hard to seal everything off. You're out of you said you're off balance. You're out, you're out of your rhythm, and that's part of it too because a big part of it is is getting back into the mode of, of making a save. Yeah. But I mean, also you had two men in front of the net, and and Austin Kreider redirected it. So I don't know that he was going to get it necessarily anyway. But the but it the does go was, through that spot in that it arm. Through that spot too. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So yeah, goes, I mean, it goes right through the six hole, and he's gone. And and I remember talking to him about it. And he's like, I I was just letting too much was getting through me there, so mm -hmm. I wanted to get my elbow in a little tighter. And by shaving the half inch off the paddle, like I said to this on the podcast, you know. Us, me, you, general public, we can't get a 25 and a half inch paddle. That's pro stock. That's custom order. We got we get 24, 25, 26, 27. We can't get the halves. That's how diligent it was. And he just seems to lose it a lot. I noticed though he, he doesn't use grip tape around, you know, the paddle and the shaft. A lot of goalies do. And, you know, when you have that grip tape there, it just gives you a bit of a spongier feel and a little bit more you know, feel like you have more to grab onto. It's like grabbing a putter with those big fat yeah. grips versus sure. no, no fat grip. It just feels like you have more in your hand. It's more substantial. You don't, you know, it won't get knocked out of your hand quite as much. I think I may have to text. Him. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, as you know, it's such a comfort thing though. Yeah. You know, I mean, and it's you know, you, yeah, exactly. I mean, you look at, look at skaters too and the, you know, the, how much, how much uh, tape is the knob of the stick and, and whatnot. And it's like, well, some guys use gobs of tape, you know, yeah. and other other guys have it fairly thin. And it's just just a matter of preference and feel. But uh, you know, but I mean, it, I, that that might be something that he might experiment with. I would think in in you know in an off season, how does this feel? Can I can I work with that? Mm -hmm. And you almost never see an in season change in something with such a you know <laughs> habitual thing like that. So just a you know, there's a comfortable area for. It. But but it is but it is as you said, it's an it's an issue that actually does seem to pop up a few times a year. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about 
what Mike Yo said after the game because I thought he had some really interesting comments and really in- interesting choices of words. Now, first, before we get to that, though, you know, I put Mike Yo in, in the episode yesterday and I kind of explained why. Mike Yo is very honest. You know, a lot of times coaches press conferences, you get a lot of coach speak, it's message sending, tamping something down to bring something else up or to make himself the story, not the player. There's all kinds of different, you know, agendas in a press conference. But Micah seems like he is very honest and willing to talk about things as they are, not as he wants his team to hear them. And he used the word, I think my team came into the game nervous. Were you shocked that they used the word nervous? I don't think it was the wrong choice of words because when you have a, you know, another word might be fragile, right? But, but uh, you know, you have a team that's kind of looking over its shoulder. Uh, uh, you know, you go very, very quickly when things go this way and it's gone this way too much of the season. You know, you're waiting for things to go wrong and you're afraid of making mistakes. You know, I mean, there are guys in this team that have been leaders in other teams. You have guys who are veterans. They have a lot of games played in the league, a lot of games played as pros. But uh, but I I think that it's a it's a very fragile team and you you can you can see the nerves right um, even sometimes even sometimes when there's a a pass that there's a pass you know overpassing or uh, you know sometimes also uh, you know I mean sometimes sometimes you either try to do too much or you're so tentative you play too conservatively and I think the Flyers Flyers are sometimes guilty of both extremes you know. So I, I think nervous is a, you know, I think nervous was a good choice of words, um, particularly, you know, particularly because, uh, listen, they, they were over-reliant um, early on in the game and Carter Hart not letting it get out of hand. Thankfully, he, he limited the damage to a single goal. But I mean, the Flyers, this could have been, this could have been a game, honestly, Jason, where you're down three, nothing by the 10 minute mark. If, if they, if Carter Hart had not been sharp. And, uh, and and I mean it, it is. I mean you got call it nerves, call it fragile, call call whatever. But I think I think it's an accurate description. Yeah, and you know you hear the word nervous, and the first thing you can think of is, well, these are NHL players. Why are they nervous to play? It's not that's it's not that kind of nervous. It's not like Claude Giroux's nervous about playing a hockey game. It's collective nervous nervousness that you're going to make a mistake, no. and you cannot play the game that way. No, you just can't. No. And, and I mean, you see it, you know, you see it in players, it's individual players, not just as a team and, and players are, who are, you know, they, they I, I almost say looking over their shoulders and it's, it, it can be, it can be, you're going to sit or it can just be, you know, even, even if you know, you'll be out there for the next shift. It's like, you don't want to be the one who causes the turnover that, that comes back the other way in your net and, and you can, you, you have to, you have to be free to play, play the game. You have to, you have to create, I mean, you have to make good decisions too. You can't be reckless, but I mean, this, you know, this is a team that, uh, you know, that it seems, it seems very tight, a, a lot of games and they, they see when they actually do get something going early and hopefully put one in the net, they do seem to loosen up a little bit. I mean, I think that plays in also to the, you know, to the disparity in the record, they actually are playing from ahead, you know, then then they can just relax and play hockey to a degree. So. Yeah. I, I think part of the reason why Mike Yo can go out there and just be so honest too, Bill, is yeah. like like he's he's not a fool. 
he knows he goes, okay, my best route is going to be to be honest and, and forthright and to be stern. And I can't worry about people's feelings a whole heck of a lot right now, because if, if I don't turn this around, the interim tag is going to be removed and I'm going to be removed. And if I have to go with this tag, cause I'm up against it. And if things don't turn around, then, you know, then, then I got no chance here. And I'm going to be, I, don't, I have no long-term maintenance on a relationship with a player to worry about. That, that's correct. Everything is, everything is all, you know, no long-term contract, no, uh, yeah. you know, the interim, the interim tag is tough. They're not, you know, unless it's a Craig Berube kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Most interim coaches don't get the tag removed and there's another guy the next year. You're, you're fighting, you're fighting the odds. Yeah, you really are. Um, I appreciate his, you know, the way he kind of messages and, and what he says in these press conferences, though. And I think it's important. And, you know, Flyer fans right now, Bill, are betwixt and between. They don't know whether to, to wind their ass or scratch their watch at this point, right? Because you go, okay, well, what's the solution? And the t- we've talked about the teardown mentality and, you know, break it all the way down. But we talk about those cautionary tales where that doesn't work, which is in most cases, you know, Chuck Fletcher's in a position right now. Once again, you know, we're not even halfway through the season here. Nah. And he's in a position going, who are the guys that are part of the solution and who are guys that are part of the problem? Is that where we are? Yeah, I I think that, you know, who who are you building around? Who do you make available versus who do you potentially actively shop to? You know, um, I, I don't think there are too many guys that they wouldn't, you know, they would hardly entertain even an offer for, you know, I, I think most guys on the team, except for a very few, you know, I, I think it would take a lot to get Joel Farabee out of here. Mm-hmm. They're very excited. They're very excited about York, you know, um, you know, Couturier just signed the big extension. He's had injury issues this year. I, I think he's a guy who's going to remain part of the core group. We've talked about, you know, Claude Giroux's situation. And there are guys too, who, you know, might be available in the right deal, but they would like to they would like to get them on track if they can, right? Travis Konechny being one yeah. of them. Yeah. Um, right. Morgan Frost, they'd like to continue developing him because listen, if you look in the system, you, you, there's not another playmaker of his upside in the system. So if you could get him going, all the all the better. Um, you know, now right now he's on the fourth line and you know they're really looking for other things other than scoring. I mean, as, as you said, Yo's not stupid. He knows playing playing Frost nine and a half minutes a game and, uh, you know, with, with you know, f- fourth-line guys, you're looking for other things out of them. You're looking for energy. You're looking for details, you know. And, uh, you know, then, event- then eventually if, you, you know, if he consistently does the right things. like you know, you, We can use last game as an example. He had a shift in the first period outstanding shift where he had a he had a takeaway and a hit within about three or four seconds of each other right but later in the same game he had just an absolutely egregious turnover in his own zone mm-hmm. um, just put the puck in his own slot you know he, if you if he can play the right way on a shift in and shift out basis you know that that's when i think he would go back up to the upper end of the line whether it's on wing or, or center you know they and, and it it also goes part and parcel of the message of you know, they want guys paying attention to detail, playing playing with energy, playing focus, playing smart. And then, you know, 
And that, and, and I mean, I don't know how many times he said not not just about Morgan. He said it about uh, TK also and other guys, right? If you're doing the right things, that that leads to transition chances, leads to offensive opportunities, and that's where that's where the offensive game comes back into play. That's when you start scoring again. You know, not 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 making a play here, a play there, um, you know, a good even a good period here or there, but just just being the kind of player that that you know you you hope the player can become or you know he's capable of becoming. Like like Konechny. I mean, Konechny has not been in that form of his all-star season from two seasons ago, really really since the bubble. And, and you know, if those guys are going to be part of the solution. And I mean, a positive example is, okay, now in the last 11 games or so, finally, you know, Oshelinbaum looks like himself again. Oh, he does, yeah. Nine, yeah. nine points in those 11 games. Nine, nine points in his last 11 games, and he's not a power play guy. He just looked, you know, finally he got over that hump. Yeah. And I mean, you know, coming into the season, there are a lot of guys who they figured, you know, and needed to, you know, Konechny, um, Van Riemsdyk, play, playing at a certain level. And, uh, you know, and, and beyond the injury factor, there have been a lot of guys who've underachieved. And, you know, there it, it's really, you know, so at this point you're figuring out, okay, you know, not just for this season, who are going to be guys we, we continue having as part of this team going forward? Because neither neither you nor I, and we've discussed this, see just a total teardown, get a get a bunch of draft pick assets and start from scratch. And I, I think that I think you'll see, you know, maybe taking a step back to try to take a a, a step or two forward over the next year or two. But I, I don't I don't see any full fledged teardown. So there's an evaluation period going on. Is there a market? for James Van Riemsdyk at the deadline, perhaps, Bill? And if so, how much do you have to retain? Yeah, I, I think you'd have to retain a significant amount because... 50%? Yes, That's the might. most you can. <laughs> I was going to say, you you might. Uh, and then that, that would mitigate the fact there's one year left on the deal, too, beyond this one, yeah. you know? Um, and, we, you know, the, the thing with JVR is that he's such a likable guy, you know? You, yeah. you almost feel bad, but I mean, but there's a, but there is a, it's, it's business. It is yeah. a business. And, you know, JVR came here from Toronto off of a career high in goals, I think 37. And as you know, his first year here, which was a bad year for the team. That was the year of the goalie carousel and yeah. hack and hit the out and all, all the rest of that that went in with that. But he missed a month of the season. He finished with 27 goals. So pace wise, that was where they needed him to be. Yeah. You know? Other than a really hot streak for the first six weeks of last season, it hasn't been there. It hasn't been there. And you know, given that he's a seven million dollar player, you know that that might be a guy that you're looking to, to move on from. You know, whether it's at this deadline or, or you just you know you just look look buyout and you you save some cap in in exchange for the, you know the one year dead space. I don't know, but that that that's a guy who I think is a candidate to not be here. Uh, you know, a year from now, whether that's the deadline or off season, I don't know. But I mean, it's just a, again, it, it, it's a business. It's a performance thing. Yeah. Uh, Bill, have you had a chance to look at the pending free agency market at all? Uh, I mean, always in free, you know, the UFAs for the most part, there's always a right. lot of age there, right? I mean, you got guys like Bergeron and Malkin that are going to be free agents. And, you know, obviously Claude Giroux is going to be, a free agent, Latang, and, you know, Mark andre Fleury. I mean, we're talking about, like, guys like Fleury, 37 years old. But are there any names that do intrigue you? Like, does Trocek at 29 
intrigue you? Does a guy like Philip Forsberg intrigue you? Klingberg, who I think is 29, and you know, Hurdle's a guy that's 28. That intrigues me. And Her- a guy like Hurdle would be right at the top of my list. Me too. You know, um, I know, you know, I mean, cap hit wise, he, he's going to be expensive. Yeah, he's but, five I mean, and a half he, now, so he's going to be good in nice he, rates. He, he's going he's gonna to get a big big bump, and there will be multiple teams involved yeah. in it too. But uh, Hurdle would come in and, and you know, solve the whole – we talked about him as a rental yeah. <laughs> at the beginning of the season and, and, you know, for a high price tag. I mean, honestly, you know, I don't know what – what the price would have been, but given what's happened with Sean Couturier and, and uh, Kevin Hayes's health, you know, things might've been a little bit different. The flyer, one of the flyers biggest needs is down the middle and, and guys who can play in the top six, get Giroux back on the wing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So it's, uh, you know, that, that it, hindsight's 2020, but that's a guy who would be of interest to me. The problem with Klingberg, that's not a problem. He would help, but he'd come in and help on the power play. He moves the puck. Well, He's looking. He's gonna be looking for big money. Yeah, you know, he's um, a left side player, right? Another another left hand, yeah, another left side guy. So, I, I don't I don't know that he's the right fit. Uh, other than he would help the team play with pace, and he would help on the help on the power play. I you know, in watching him for a number of years in Dallas, I think he's okay defensively. He doesn't kill you, but he's no shutdown guy by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. You know, I, I mean. I don't, I don't know that he helps you get to where, you know, I mean, the, the team has to find an identity, figure out what it wants to be. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe you want to be the, the a go, go, go kind of team and you put them, you put a guy like that on the left side. Now that would obviously involve moving other things, other pieces in and out. But I mean, if, if that's the identity you want to go for, then, then he could come in and help. But if you want to be, if they want to, Play to the identity that, that Elaine Vigneault, while he was here, you know, said he wanted, and and um, Yo was hinted at being that that two way team, you know, takes away time and space, and you know, I mean, really, that, that's not Klingberg. He's he's more of an offensive guy. So, you know, I I, I don't know, but I mean, that's uh, you know, I, you know, it doesn't always take the the biggest names in the market either. It, you know, I I go back to a couple seasons ago where they added Pitlick. And Niskanen, and none of those are big names, but they they all, but they fit. They fit needs, and that's really, you know, they fit needs, and and in some cases at a you know at a reasonable cost too. So that's really you know that that that's half the equation. Everybody looks at the marquee moves, and you know I think having more star power certainly wouldn't wouldn't hurt a bit because I think it's needed, but I think you also need those guys who fill roles. And another guy that I just kind of keeping an eye on a little bit too. Again, he's a left side defenseman. So if I have to, if I use some of my left side in any kind of hockey trades and I need to fill some, you know, left side defenseman, I look at a guy like Hampus Lindholm as well with the Ducks. Yeah. Oh, Lindholm would, yeah, I think Lindholm would absolutely come in and, and, and fill. I think he's a very underrated defenseman, actually. You yeah. Know? I Lindholm is a very good player. Um, so you know, and you have, yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah, for sure. He has, he has numerous. Numerous boxing checks on a good penalty killer. You yep. know, makes a good, good first pass. Very poised back there. So you know, he, he's he's tough under forechecking pressure. Quick stick. I mean, all all those things, right? He'll block shots for you. He'll do do a lot of things he need. Um, so I mean, that that would be absolutely a big ad, you know, for Philadelphia in the off season. 
And you're also figuring out, you know, not just the guys who are free agents this year, but a year from now. Travis Sanheim, you know, yeah. Sanheim is unrestricted a year from now. Um, not that they're, you know, they're looking to, not that they're looking to deal him, move him out, but sometimes the time, sometimes you look to do that when there's a year remaining on the deal because you get more value. Yeah. You know, um, and he doesn't make an outrageous salary, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, sometimes, sometimes those, I mean, cap dollars and figures come into a lot of this too, because when you're reshaping a team, you have to have the cap space to do it. Yeah. So sometimes you're moving out a player you like, and it's not that there's anything, you know, not that you don't want the player. It's just a question of changing the mix and, you know, making the dollars and caps and make the dollars and cents to work out cap, cap less. What do you think of Gaudreau? There's always this feeling, Bill. I talked about yeah. this in a prior episode that anybody that was born and raised in this area wants to come here and play. And I said, you know, we never heard Johnny Gaudreau go on the record about that because he plays for another NHL team. He shouldn't. But there was always this assumption that Mike Trout for Anaheim in baseball, because he's from Millville, and we would see him at every Eagles game getting a a ball handed to him by Carson Wentz or whoever, and that he would be spotted at pro sporting events here. And he was a proud member of of our society, even though he didn't live here anymore, that when he was going to walk himself to free agency and he was going to come in here and play for the Phillies. Well, I I know somebody knows him. They told me he didn't want to come here. It's not because he doesn't like the area, but he wants to have that separation of where he's from and everything that goes with it and his professional career. And he did that. And he signed a monster deal. Now there's this presumption that Johnny Gaudreau is chomping at the bit to put on that Flyers Jersey and play here. And maybe he is, I don't know. Or maybe he just wants to do it at the very end of his career. I don't know, but he's a free agent this off season. Right. And I, you know, and, and of course his family, you know, Families, Flyers fans, you know. I mean, of course, there's a Calgary fans right now too. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I there's a whole, you know, when you when a player plays in his hometown, it, it's a very double-edged sword. Yep, um, I agree. When when even when you're home, you know, you're getting called for tickets. You're, you're there's a lot of there's a lot of ancillary things that go with it, and there's a there's a higher degree of pressure. It, I mean, you know. We see it all the time in, in Montreal. There's always this assumption that every francophone player wants to play for the Canadians. And the, the market that, that's just as bad with that is Toronto, too. If anyone's from anywhere near Toronto, you know. Yeah, John Tavares you know, didn't help that with his pajamas picture. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now Tavares, I mean Tavares did have his mind made up to go to go to the Leafs. But a lot of a lot of guys, they don't, you know, they, they'd rather have the separation for yeah, the separation of church and state. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And sometimes, sometimes having a little bit more real estate, being on the other coast, you know, can be a good thing. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's an absolute no. And it's also what kind of team are we building, right? Um, I mean, there's no questioning Johnny Hockey's skill level, his playmaking. You know, another. I mean, one of the smallest guys in the NHL. So, what are you? What else are you adding around it? You know, you you can't go you can't go all small either. So. You know, it, it's. Um, I mean, he could be part of a winning team, but what uh, what other pieces are you adding? And that's uh, that really that really goes part and parcel with it. If, if I had to, and I could be a hundred percent wrong, we could do a podcast before the start of next season. You know, well, I blew that one. But if I had to handicap it, I, I would I would say that he more likely than not that he doesn't end up in Philadelphia. 
Yeah, and then he'll get the Danny Briere treatment when he comes into town as yeah. an opposition player. Bill, with his size too, I, I think he's like five. He's listed, I think, at five nine, but I think he's probably more like five seven and a half, right? One hundred and sixty five pounds, soaking wet. Right. Uh, he's a player. He's had a ninety nine point season. He's more than a point per game player this year in Gaudreau, um, but he's a guy that has not had a lot of playoff success. In thirty playoff games, he's got nineteen points. Is 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 that body lack of size more pronounced in the playoffs, and that's part of that equation? It can be. It can be. Um, you know, because the checking is tighter and whatever. But but who's who's a better playoff performer for the Flyers than Danny Briere? Who's the yeah. smallest guy? In the, you know, it, it's you know, Marty Saint Louis was a yeah, great playoff Marty performer. Louis, exactly. And, and, you know, Tampa Bay was you know, I mean, he was unstoppable some years in the playoffs. So it really. You know, and, and it's funny too the way perceptions go too. Um, you know, it can it can change quickly. Uh, early in Claude Giroux's career, for example, really really up through 2014, uh, you know, Giroux was Mr. Playoffs for the Flyers. You know, and uh, I mean his coming out party was in 2010, and he he won he won a game in overtime in the Stanley Cup Finals and was averaging north of a point per game in that series he had against the, the Penguins in, in 2012. You know, even you know, um, even in 2014 in that Rangers series, there were yeah. a couple games in there where Giroux was the best player on the ice in that series in, in some of those games. I think he had I think he had six points in the seven games. You know, and his playoff series since then ha- have been kind of tough. So, you know, I, I think memories are short and you know, okay, well, well, you know, what's Drew ever done in the playoffs? You know, yeah. uh, the last few. Or can go the other way around too. Keith Primo was really known as a playoff under underachiever until 2004. He had the he did have the five overtime goal, but other than that, when he was in Detroit, that knock was on him, and and uh, you know he had the 30 goal year when he came to the Flyers in a rough playoff. Oh well, he's a regular season guy, so you know it 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 can change. That's that's the point. It, it's the narrative until it isn't. Right. Gaudreau, nine points in his first 11 NHL playoff games. In his next nine, he had three. Right. And then in his next 10, he's got seven. And that was back in the bubble. So that's a little bit of an asterisk there because that was obviously a, a bit different. Um, last thing, Bill, what did you think of the Cam York-Travis Sanheim pairing? Because if it passes your sniff test, there's it's probably less likely that York comes out of the lineup because you can move. Sanheim to the right side, either keep him with York and put Ristolainen upon his return on the top pair with Ivan Provorov, or you can put Sanheim on the top pair with Ivan Provorov on the right side. But th- there's a lot of ramifications here. What do you think of the pairing so far? Um, you know, I, I, I think for the most part, they've been very good. I, mm-hmm. I think York individually has been been outstanding. Um, you know, and every, everybody's going to have a shift here or there where you're caught up ice or you turn a puck over, you know. I mean, hockey's a game of mistakes, and defensemen in particular, you just, uh, you know, you just shake it off and, and roll onward, and that's that's part of that's part of how you judge a defenseman anyway. Is when the inevitable mistake happens, you know, how does he bounce back in the shifts after that? Um, I mean, the part of the problem with getting Cam into the lineup has been, you know, the, the you can't really pair him with Keith Yandel. So if you if that if you don't have to do that and you can juggle some other pieces around, I think it significantly increases the chance of staying in the lineup. Yeah, I mean, at, at this point, Bill, I mean, just usage and the things the coaching staff saying about them, 
both on the record, off the record, whatever. I test analytics. All it all. He looks like he looks like an NHL player. He 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 does. I mean, just just his demeanor and you know. I, I mean, honestly, the his COVID bout was actually kind of a blessing in disguise because he had a rough first almost two months for the Phantoms. I mean, you know, I, the team as a whole was really struggling, and, and Cam just didn't find a rhythm. And then he he you know had the you know missed I guess about ten days or so. I'll check. He hit the reset button, and he's been a different player since then. Yeah. You know, and, and it's uh, and some you know some guys are are better. I know there's a thing, some guys are better in the NHL than the AHL only because you're playing with with smarter, you know, with players higher higher skill levels to a degree, but also higher hockey IQs. Yeah, so. absolutely. Well, we'll see what happens back to back with the Islanders tonight and tomorrow night. And uh, we'll see if – I mean, I can't imagine, Bill, if they have two 10-game win streaks before the midway point of this – or 10-game winless streaks w- before the midway point of the season. Yeah. I mean, I, Alex can't even go there. No, I, it, it's a very unpleasant thought. You know, the only thing you could say for the swoon a year ago was it happened in March. Mm-hmm. So basically one one more month in the season. He, even then – Flyers went into April, and if they they really gotten hot in April, they weren't out of the race yet. It's it's tough. I mean, I mean, truthfully, the last time the Flyers were really out of the race by the midway point was 2006-07, and no one wants that again. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Thanks for doing this as always, Bill. Thanks to everybody for listening. Flyers Isles tonight. We'll break it down. Uh, we'll do a breakdown of the game and preview of the second game between the Flyers and the Isles. That's coming up in tomorrow's episode of Flyers Daily. Have a great day, everybody.